0: And goodness knows what else. If you want to follow this in your Bibles, in the Pew Bibles, it's um, on page one o three one, Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 14. This is Jesus' own mission statement. And this comes after Jesus' temptation in his victory over Satan in the desert. And we read that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him unrolling it he found the place where it is written the spirit of the lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of our Lord God.
1: Good morning everybody. It's lovely to see you all here. Well this is my penultimate Sunday sermon as a, as the vicar of uh, this parish. So there's a light at the end of the tunnel for you if you're sick of listening to my words. Right. So, I love the film and also love the book Chocolate. I don't know if anybody's read it or or seen the film. The film and the book are a little bit different but I think it's a a fantastic story. And it plots a journey of awakening, if you like, for uh, a village that is full of isolated and oppressed and quite frankly, I think, unhappy people. And this is a situation until one Sunday, and it happens to be the first Sunday of Lent, when a new wind blows in. And I like to think it's the Holy Spirit blowing in and initiating this whole uh, change that takes place. And at the same time, a woman arrives who begins to melt frozen hearts with love and life and generosity and chocolate. It had to be chocolate, didn't it? One of my favorite things in the whole world. And she does this by opening a, a chocolate shop. And transformation sparks and it, then it gathers pace. And before long, through a new expression of this love and hospitality, relationships are mended and forgiveness is received and given and color is painted across this gray and lifeless village. We're going to watch a a clip now from the opening where we see this new wind, uh, as it's described, a sly wind blow in from the north. So I'm going to turn the lights off and then we'll watch it. This village is so wrapped up in the way it lives, it's become a way of life. And their pretense and their traditions and it's almost like a mock uh, Christianity it's not genuine and it takes that new wind to come and disturb them from that very uh, grey and yet for many comfortable existence I think this film hints at the extraordinary work of transformation that began in Jesus all those years ago and it's recorded by the writer Luke. He tells us that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he came like a breath of the wind of God, breathing new life and hope and liberation and healing. And so I want us to pick up on a few things that we see Jesus doing and that uh, arise out of this passage from Luke, and we'll explore them together. Firstly then, Unlike John the Baptist, Jesus doesn't wait for the people to come to him. Luke tells us that Jesus has returned to Galilee and that he's teaching in the synagogues. He's on a preaching tour, if you like. He went to the people, taking to them the good news of the kingdom of God and the love of God on offer to them. He started in the synagogues, But before long, he was out there, outside the walls of the synagogue. He was meeting with people out in the open in the countryside. He was speaking to them in boats. He was speaking to them next to wells in the center of villages and towns. Where people were, Jesus was. I don't know if any of you have seen the program. It finished last Sunday. It was on Sunday evenings on Channel 4, Walking the Himalayas. Did anybody see that program? Yeah, you did, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. One or two, yeah, it was a fantastic program. I, I thought it was it was brilliant. It uh, tells a story of Levison wood, who's a travel writer and uh, now is a bit of an explorer 's got a great thing going for him. Levison Wood is from Stoke, same parish as me. hey so uh, he uh, and he's uh, seemingly a great guy, and uh, he had this vision if you like to walk the Himalayas and it took great courage a lot of dangers he went through a lot of countries hundreds and hundreds of miles and yet he he managed to do it now he couldn't have had that vision or that plan and it wouldn't have been fulfilled sat in his home in London he could have had that great vision and that great idea and it could have gone nowhere fast just by staying at home Now, likewise, with a mission to share the good news of God, Jesus, he went to the people. It was little, there was little point in him staying at home, just sharing that with one or two people. This had to be shared, and it had to go out from there. And so, as followers of Jesus, in what ways are we taking his good news to other people? Or are we expecting people to come to us? Are we chatting the love of God to people at work, at school, at college, around the dinner table, over the phone, at the school gate? Or are we leaving it to others? Secondly then, Jesus went to the people, yes, but he began in Galilee. Now, Galilee was a region in the north of Palestine, and it was a very densely populated area, and an area of extraordinary fertility. And there was a saying back then, and it went like this, it's easier to raise a legion of olive trees in Galilee than it is to raise a child, one child, in Judea. So Galilee was, unsurprisingly, it was the least conservative and most forward-looking area in Palestine at the time and the great historian Josephus described the Galileans as being fond of innovation and open to change and of great courage this is the people that they were this is the type of people and they were ready to follow a leader therefore who was bringing to them this hope and freedom from oppression and so it's into this context that Jesus began his ministry this was his own land. These were his people and it clearly influenced him. It gave him the courage and inspired him to share this uh, radical message of God's love. It was into this environment too that he found the people who were open to his words and his actions. And so I wonder, what about us? as Jesus works in and through this context, this church, this community, these people, how fertile is the ground of our hearts and our lives. How open to the change of God's loving purposes are we? If the historian Josephus was here with us today, would he describe us, this church, as being uh, of people of great courage, open to change, open to to innovation. How open are we to having our lives turned upside down by Jesus? So Jesus began in Galilee, but in Galilee, thirdly, Jesus began in the synagogue. Now, the synagogue was the center of religious life in Palestine. In every town and village, there was a synagogue uh, and that was the place where people met for worship and teaching and preaching, quite probably. And uh, whilst we're on this subject and the value of teaching and preaching, I've, I thought I'd just uh, insert a little joke here, just so that uh keep your attention a little bit. I know how you love my jokes. So there's three boys in the school playground, and they're bragging about what their mums do. And the first says, well, my mum... She writes a few ideas on a piece of paper. She calls it a poem, and the publishers give her 500 pounds. Oh, that's nothing, says the second boy. My mum writes down a few ideas on a piece of paper, and she calls it a song, and the record label, they give her 1,000 pounds. Oh, that's nothing, said the third boy. My mum writes a few ideas on a piece of paper. She calls it a sermon, and they pass around a huge basket to collect all the money. I think it's interesting to note that just as Scripture, the reading of it and the teaching of it and the preaching through it was central to the synagogue, it's still central to the life of God's church today. And it shows the roots of our faith, doesn't it? It was important to Jesus and as his followers of today, we still do it. So back to today's scripture. Luke makes it clear that it was the custom of Jesus to attend and participate in worship in the synagogue. And as far as we know, Jesus didn't have an official role there. And so uh, this reading that he does when he takes up the scroll and he reads from the words of Isaiah, this might have been uh, Jesus' own initiation or else it might have been uh, the invitation of uh, the president of the worship at that time or the, the person who was leading uh, on that day. Whichever way it was, it was the habit of Jesus to be there and to take part. What about us? Is it our healthy habit to be regularly participating on a weekly basis in the worship of God and engaging with Scripture and open to uh, God's transforming power Within us, is that how we come to worship each and every week? And do we come like Jesus, willing to participate, looking to get involved, playing our part, actively enabling ourselves and encouraging other people to grapple with God's Word and to be open, fully open with our hearts and our minds to what God wants to do in us and through us? Is that how we come to worship? And there's something too here about taking the initiative, isn't there? And also carrying and being willing to carry the responsibility and share in that so that it's not just left to other people. So often in church life, we can expect too much from other people. Things that Jesus shows are actually the responsibility of every single one of us. And fourthly then, in some detail Luke aims to show Jesus is the fulfillment of these words of Isaiah and he is fulfilling them, actively so. It's as if Jesus is announcing, this is the kind of ministry I'm going to have. This is what you can expect of me. This is what I am here to be and do. Now imagine somebody just walking in through those doors now and picking up a Bible, turning to Isaiah and saying these words in front of us and then claiming them as their manifesto. This is what I'm here to do. We would think it was incredible. Well, imagine back then, you know, we've got the, uh, the gift of hindsight, haven't we? We know this is what Jesus came to be and to do. But imagine back in that synagogue, this is in Jesus' hometown. And there, he's a son of Joseph the carpenter. And he, and he claims these words as his manifesto. This is what I'm here to be and do. It must have been unbelievable for those people. My manifesto, says Jesus, though, has divine backup. It has the holy seal of approval. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. What an incredible endorsement. Now, through the renewal and charismatic movement of the church in recent decades I think we've seen a fresh understanding of this one verse from Isaiah. I grew up in a uh, charismatic uh, church very influenced by the renewal movement and the vicar uh, at the time was a a friend of John Wimber who was a a big part of that and how that God used that in the church in this country and as uh, Christchurch benefited too uh, decades ago. and. Collectively, in many, many places, we have encountered the living God. Individual Christians have discovered the wonder of the Spirit of God at work in their lives. I've told you before, as a nine-year-old child, I was completely... No, I don't want to install my software update. Thank you. I'll just remind me later. Thank you. Um, as a nine-year-old child, uh, I was um, bowled over, completely bowled over and overwhelmed... By a sense of God's love pouring, literally pouring into my life when that prayer ministry team prayed for me. I, I'd never experienced anything like it. And that was the first experience of a number. But it it still fuels my faith today and drives me on with Jesus. And I remember when they were praying with me, I remember just saying to myself, as I thought, Jesus, thank you. I I, I love you. And just saying that over and over, I, I, I couldn't say anything else. It was a totally amazing and wonderful experience. And the joy of that was, was wonderful too. Now, many other people have been able to say those words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. As followers of Jesus, that is a gift given to every single one of us. What a wonderful gift that is what life and what vibrancy that gift has given to God's church. I wonder, can you say that for yourself? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and He's anointed me. Do you know for sure? Have you had that experience of God pouring His love into your life, into your heart? If not, then I encourage you, don't miss out. Please, ask somebody to pray with you. Ask the Holy Spirit. To come upon you. But of course, the words of Jesus don't end there, do they? You wouldn't know it though, looking at the church sometimes. In our rediscovery of the gift of the Spirit, we've forgotten at times those next words of Jesus, so crucial and yet so costly. He doesn't simply say, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me, full stop, end of story. He goes on to say, that he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is the fulfillment of all these words. He's the embodiment of them. He brings them into being. He makes them happen still today. He is the member of the Trinity sent from the community of God to bring transformation into the lives of people across the world. Jesus is the one and only person who can say to the spiritually or materially poor, God is here to help you and to save you. Jesus is the only one who can bring freedom for, prisoner, for prisoners from crime, persecution, sin, or emotional turmoil. Jesus is the only one who can bring recovery of sight for the physically or spiritually blind and he's the only one who can release those struggling under oppression and herald the time of the Lord's saving power he is the one have you experienced this power of God at work in your life and how are you crying out for that power of God to work in your life at the moment or in the life of someone you know or love but more than this how are we asking the Spirit of God empower us in his purposes or do we just ask the Spirit of God to be upon us because of course Jesus wants his followers to pray the Spirit of the Lord is upon me too and so in what ways are we allowing the Spirit of God to enable us to preach good news to the poor and however that will happen in today's world or to proclaim freedom for prisoners and however that may happen in today's world? And how are we asking the Spirit of God to blow us into the lives of others so that we can pray for them, pray that they experience the saving power of God at work in their lives? Are we asking the Spirit of God to be upon us? Or are we asking the Spirit of God to be upon us too? As friends of Jesus, we sign up to this manifesto. There's no getting around it this plan of action, these purposes as outlined through the prophecy of Isaiah. Christchurch, it's time to fully take hold of this. God is asking you to, to, whatever that may be, offer more than opinions. Offer more than just a habitual act of worship week in, week out. He wants you to live out your faith He wants you to play your part in whatever He wants you to do. As a nine-year-old child, after my first experience of the Holy Spirit, and that drove me on into so many things, I wanted to live for Jesus. I remember walking to school from that day on, talking to Jesus, listening to Him. I wanted to live differently, and I've grappled with that and tried to do it, and failed and then got up again and tried again many, many times over but it is what has fueled my love for Jesus and my desire to follow him day in and day out. And from then as well, I wanted to get involved in church. I got involved in mission projects. I got involved in the life of the church. And so I wonder, what is your to going to be? Or what is it already? What is the Holy Spirit anointing you and I to be and do? To what? And so to finish, like Jesus, let's not wait for the people to come to us. Please. Let's be people of courage. People of innovation. People open to God's fresh purposes. And let's be people who participate and take responsibility in worship and as Christians in the way that we live our lives. And finally, let's invite the Holy Spirit to be upon us, yes, but to live and speak and act in accordance with Jesus' plans for the world, His loving purposes and His saving power. As His followers, we are transformed by and we take up His radical manifesto so that we can both enjoy that and also to bring new life and hope and liberation and healing to others across the world, Amen.